Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Tom, so um, I, I'm feeling pretty good about myself this week. Um, nothing work-related, but um, I think you know that, because I know Heather's probably said this many times on various calls, that I'm not a particularly handy person around the house. I wouldn't call myself that. Um, Me neither. So, so yesterday, uh, it woke up. It was like, I don't know, one degree out, I think. Um, and it was <laughs> cold in my house, right? So you kind of know something's wrong, like unusually cold. Uh, yeah. So my furnace wasn't working. Um, so oh, I, man. yeah, so I, I, would, I do what all um, people seem to do these days, which is I jumped on YouTube. Um, I started Googling like symptoms of what I thought might be wrong. And, um, turns out I, I landed upon something and actually fixed the furnace. So, Holy yeah. And by watching a video, by watching a video. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Videos because, you know, I'll, I'll diagnose the problem like you did enter it into YouTube search. Cause I want the video tutorial. And then I see, oh, the minutes two or the videos, two minutes and 20 seconds. Oh, I don't have time for that. Like, how <laughs> impatient can you be? Like right. you want to solve this problem, and I can't even sit through a two-minute video. But yeah. so, congrats to you. What was the uh, ultimate uh, problem? It was a was dirty, a dirty. <laughs> yeah, I just had to turn it off and then on again. <laughs> um, no, it was a dirty flame sensor, which is a uh, is a thing apparently. So wow, and you fixed yeah. it, huh? Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I did. Um, and you you would not. You, you wouldn't believe how, if you had seen, well, you probably wouldn't believe, like my jaw dropped when I actually tried to turn that thing back on after taking panels off and taking parts out of it. And it actually went back on. So, oh was, so hence, I've still got this glow of accomplishment that is following me throughout, you know, the last 48 hours. If only Heather had that on video for us to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let, so. me, let me ask you something that is work related and see how proud you are of yourself in this regard. Mm -hmm. So January's gone. Are you at least or one twelfth or more of the way through your annual plan that you set for yourself? I'm sure you set goals and objectives. Are you one twelfth of the way there? Um, well, no, that's a great question. I don't know. I honestly, I'm I'm thinking back. Um, and this is actually something I think is a good lead in for our conversation today. I guess so. Um, because all I really do is set. You know, we've I think we've talked about this, and we'll talk about more today. Is sort of like action-based goals, you know, like I don't have any, I don't have any, um, like outcome-based goals that I could track, you know, other than just like, yeah, I've been posting on LinkedIn, which I say, you know, I'm going to do. I haven't, um, I haven't made tangible, I guess I do have an outcome-based goal, which is like writing a book this year. Um, I don't have like tangible words on paper and a page count to point to yet, but I have been doing a lot of reading and research um, and I need to get past that and start writing. So I guess I'm sort of, yeah, I mean, I'd say I'm generally on track for where I want to be. How about you? Um, yeah, I have an outcome based goal that I'm too sure I'm too shy to share on mm -hmm. a public podcast, but <laughs> it's got a, a number tied to it. And I actually did thanks to the full focus planner, which uh, we've been talking about planners on our podcast and someone actually a listener asked us about it. Um, it asked me every week, have you made how, what percentage towards your goal are you? Mm -hmm. 
and I did that over the weekend. I was like, wow, I'm 10% of the way there. Perfect. There you and go. January. So yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself. But um, and yes, I did use that as a, seg- a segue to talk about what we were going to bring up as today's topic. And that is um, the who, the where, the how of marketing and business development, because I would imagine most listeners set at least if not a tangible goal, then at least a philosophical goal in the back of their mind that they want to improve upon business development for the year. And they make all sorts of lofty goals January 1st. And maybe by February 1st, those are out the window. So we want to do a kind of a quick check here and say, hey, remember, you set this goal. Now, how do we achieve it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, and, and this is this is really brought on, I think, by um, some coaching calls that I've had recently. Um, and you know, getting to this whole point, we've talked about this issue where you know the the point of resistance becomes you know you get you get through the planning process and then it comes down to taking action and things fall apart. Um, and so, so this this episode is going to be devoted to kind of unpacking and and demystifying and simplifying some aspects of marketing and business development. So if to the extent that you're someone who feels like your systems are leaking and the wheels are coming off a little bit, you feel like you're just, you know, the the big ambition you had for the year sort of slipping through your fingers like sand, um, we'll get you back on track uh, with, a, with a more simplified approach. So, okay. So what we're talking about here is you know, planning. Um, and and think going back to you know what the plan might be for the year and and I do you know I I look back if I look back at the bookshelf behind me Tom I've got a stack of yellow legal pads and and they're filled with plans right some of them very long and complicated and and they haven't moved like they, they're useless to me so I've I've gone to much more of an approach to keep it simple long plans are a form of procrastination in many instances so that's what we're going to try to to give people today so that's why we use this little like heuristic of who or sorry uh where how no I'm getting it wrong <laughs> who where and how of marketing and business development um so what we're asking people to do is just kind of go through these questions and and the who question relates of course to you know who are you targeting like who is it that you're hoping to serve or actively serving and want to serve um, more uh, frequently? So that is a simple um, strategic question, not an easy one necessarily to to land upon, but that is the starting point because everything else kind of flows from there. So we do suggest um, going through that exercise of really drilling down and understanding who is your ideal client audience, um, and as we get it, as we'll get into in a second. Um, that will dictate the answers and the elements of your plan to a great degree um, beyond just that first question. So, Tom, I'll, I'll just stop for a second and let you kind of weigh in on target market, ideal client. Yeah. Well, first, I just wanted to like, make an observation about what you said at the beginning because I think it's so true about the the planning and the paralysis that sometimes comes with these big plans. And so, it's not uncommon, I don't think, for either a person or large companies to spend a ton of time coming up with a plan because they figured the reason they haven't gotten anywhere is because there isn't a plan. And then they develop the plan and they don't execute, which reveals that the problem wasn't that you didn't have a plan. The problem is that you can't execute. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this, I, what I love about your planning process, it's built in, uh, in, or it's built in a way that facilitates execution. So anyways, I just wanted to make that yep. observation. Um, it, it's something you call upon in your book, the productivity pivot. In terms of who, we get hung up here a lot with clients or 
as people we meet because you and I both advocate for a very narrow and specific who. And the temptation is to market to everybody and say, well, the who could be anybody. And that becomes a problem in execution. So because you can't conceivably and effectively and cost affordably market to everyone. And you're going to have greater success. I'm just going to repeat this as an article of faith so we don't dwell too much on niche today as we often do, do, but it's you are going to have greater success, deeper engagement and far greater results with a smaller audience than you will with a large audience that you're only skimming the surface. So that's where I start when it comes to audiences. How can I keep niching down to the point where it becomes painful and now it's like, well, now I'm only talking about 100 people. I, 100 people might be too small an audience, but maybe not. But um, I, I always, when I'm working with a client, say, let's get to, let's start cutting away. You know the idea of how do you sculpt an elephant? You start with a piece of clay and you keep taking stuff away and that's not an elephant. Start taking away everything that's not your target market because when you do get a piece of business and it's an ideal client fit, that client's going to energize you, that client's going to pay you, that client's going to stick with you, and that client is not going to become a drag. So that, those are my thoughts on who. Yeah, right. It, exactly. Narrow, narrow focus. Um, you know, strategy in this respect is more about what you decide not to do as opposed to what you decide to do. It's oftentimes that layering on that um, gets us into trouble. To your point, Tom, it's it's all about stripping away um, the excess so that you can get down to like what's what the core is of like, what are you really good at? Um, who do you like serving? Who do you know? Who, have, who do you have experience serving? Like all of these questions um, so that you can get down to sort of your, you know, area of, of excellence, um, your domain of real expertise. Um, I think Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger refer to it as, you know, staying in your circle of confidence. Um, mm. And and really, that's where you can make a big impact and and charge those premium rates and all of those things. So so don't be afraid of um, the less is more approach. Okay, can so- I just add one thing here? Because yeah. you touched on something that I think is important. Talk about, um, you know, picking clientele that you enjoy working with. Everybody can think of their favorite client right now. Close your eyes. You're thinking of your favorite client. Write that person's name down. And then write a list next to their name, everything that you know about that person, everything that you like about that person. And you might be able to find some things that are repeatable, that aren't just Jim's personality, because Jim has a certain personality, probably because either his education, his job, what he expects of you, who he calls friends, maybe his you know economic stats, all of those things. There's I, Here's a trick, in other words, a hack is to name your perfect uh, client by name and then describe that person and then say, okay, this is a repeatable person. I can find more people like this and clone that client. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, and why that's important as we get to the next uh, question of where uh, is, is because once you have that sense of who your ideal client is that you're going to target, then the exercise of determining where they are, where they spend time and attention, where you have to be in order to reach them and be visible to them becomes a heck of a lot easier. I mean, think of the alternative. Like if your who is you know nearly everyone, sure, theoretically, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of opportunity, right? That's the way we think about it. Like I, I can serve anyone. Um, <laughs> I, should, I should have no problem generating work. The problem becomes, you know, while you may be relevant 
to everyone. You're never going to be really attractive to anyone because you're just so watered down with your approach. Um, whereas if you're very specific, well, then you can immerse yourself within the environment in which your ideal client, um, again, spends its time and attention, you know, join the trade groups, attend the conferences, um, speak the language, publish in the trusted publications, all of those types of things that <clears throat> allow you as a, as a professional and as someone who's marketing a practice to be visible and build trust with that audience. So, you know, you can, you can figure out where, I guess, if you're, if you've got a broader practice, it just becomes a lot more difficult. And the problem is like, even if, even if you have a very narrow practice niche, um, and, but you serve like a very broad demographic of prospective clients, um, it's still, it's hard. Where do you put your marketing? I guess, you know, LinkedIn, a more comprehensive network where a lot of people see it and maybe you're getting referrals from other professionals um, would be one way to think about it. But, you know, if you can, if you can marry a narrow practice niche with like a narrow, you know, demographic industry um, vertical focus, well, then you've got a real opportunity to gain traction and become like the, you know, the go-to person in your space um, because you've maybe narrowed down by, practice, industry, and even maybe geography, if you live in a big enough one to support, you know, the practice that you aspire to build. Um, and, and, you know, people don't think of anybody else when they have a problem of the variety that you help solve. And so that's, that's how I think about um, the question of where. Yeah, exactly. Because if you do, don't get narrow on the who, you won't get narrow on the where because of what I described in my book, um, FOMO, right, which is the fear of yeah. marketing omission. What if I don't, show up on a platform because some of my who's may be on Facebook. Some of my who's may be on LinkedIn. I don't know much about Twitter, but what am I missing out there? You know, and so all of this sets in and what people tend to do then is they either say, well, I can't possibly do all of that. So I do nothing. Or they try to do a little bit of everything and none of it has any effect. And then they call either you or I and say, how come my marketing is not working? So um, in terms of like, if, if I could strip away all of that non-elevant Clay and say, my market's only on LinkedIn, but even that LinkedIn is a pretty fat elephant too. What if I could say, as you do, I'll use you as an example, right? As you work for law firms and lawyers, mm -hmm. there is such thing, even though it's not explicitly defined, there's a such thing as legal LinkedIn, right? I'm immersed in it now because of my relationship with you and what we do with the Thought Leader Collaborative, and I see it, right? Yep. That LinkedIn behavior is totally different in, in the vernacular in the relationships and the etiquette is totally different than say IT LinkedIn. And I, cause I'm part of that with some of the clients mm -hmm. that I, I have in the IT space. So I, I think LinkedIn isn't even narrow enough of aware anymore because if, but it will be, you can make it narrow if you decide that your who is very narrow because you're going to naturally like literally join maybe a LinkedIn group that only that, but I'm thinking more so in, just as you interact in that community, just on LinkedIn, LinkedIn algorithm starts to figure out that's who you are and that's who you should be interacting with. And they will sort of kind of create this aura of, you know, like-minded people around you and serve your content up to them, serve their content up to you, et cetera. So, yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, it is, it's funny. I, there are, there's been occasions in the past where like a client or someone um, will want me to like log into their, LinkedIn, right? Just to do something, whatever, just to, to help them with their profile or something like that. And, and I, as a result of doing that, I'll see their feed and it's like unrecognizable, like what yeah. they're seeing. It's like a whole, you're right. It's a whole nother social platform. 
um, than what I'm seeing, uh, which is, yeah, just this immersion within the, the legal LinkedIn community. And so it is really interesting. We I talk about that when I do LinkedIn training, which is, you know, there's not one LinkedIn. It's like, there's, you know, SaaS, nonprofit, healthcare, like IT to your point, legal, it's all these different forms of LinkedIn. Um, and it's, again, it's, yeah, it's not explicit, but it's, um, it's just sort of something that you, you either, you either immerse yourself in one of those niches or you just have kind of a messy feed that really doesn't allow you to gain traction with anybody. I've seen that chaos myself in, yeah. you can see it. You can see it though, creating some, as you probably work with that client, maybe uh, you can start seeing it become more and more sensical as time goes on because LinkedIn is good at learning your behaviors and learning what's important to you. You just have to train it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that that is, you know, that we were, so basically where we're at now, if we've, you know, following this methodology, it's like, all right, I understand who my ideal client is. I, as a result of that, uh, decision I made and, and introspection, I can pretty easily figure out where they are. Right. I know, I know where I need to be and where I need to show up and have my idea show up. And then it comes down to how, so what is it exactly you're going to do to market yourself and engage in business development such that you generate opportunities for yourself? Um, that, that really comes down to the how question. And this is where, to me, you know, it, this is where we get in. This is where, as, as I was alluding to, um, the, the wheels start to come off a little bit because it's about taking action. And, and it, when we start taking action, things like, well, what will this, will this work? Um, what if people, what if, th what if this isn't effective or people think that, you know, my ideas aren't all that great or, or I, I need to do so much just this little bit that you're suggesting I do isn't even worth it. Like these are the things mm -hmm. that start cropping up. I'm too busy. Um, so, so this is why we need a simplified approach. So here's, here's the way I think about it and I'll go first Tom, and then you can, you please share your perspective on, on this and, and whatever other ideas you have. But I, I tell clients have think about this in two different ways. Think about your marketing, think about your business development. They're related concepts, obviously, but they're treat them distinct to some extent. So your marketing, this is where, you know, this issue of like goal setting comes in, um, determine a, a an action you're going to take right on a consistent basis um don't worry about an outcome like you know sometimes people will set marketing goals and say you know if you're a professional built trying to build a practice i want to you know generate five hundred thousand dollars in revenue this year um that's great and all uh but that's one of those things where it the that outcome's outside of your control right um someone else has to has to actually pay you $500,000 and you could be doing all the right things, um, but it just hasn't quite happened yet. Um, and wh why set $500,000? That sounds pretty arbitrary to me. Why not 5 million? You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you actually limiting yourself by identifying a number like that? So instead, what I suggest clients do is um, pick an action, right? And that might be some consistent activity that, um, is, is likely to lead to an outcome that is gonna be beneficial and positive to you. So, you know, an example that might be just cause we're staying on the thread of LinkedIn. Like I'm posting consistently on LinkedIn every day. Like I'm doing 15 minutes of beneficial work on LinkedIn every day. Um, I'm not doing a ton, but I'm doing it consistently. And that's how, you know, things start compounding and results start actually happening. So um, determine one or two you know, marketing tactics that you can engage in 
on a consistent basis and make that your quote marketing plan. Um, and then on the business development side, you know, don't, don't think about your entire network as one homogenous group of people that you're going to treat um, equally. That's what your marketing's for. Your marketing is communicating one to many at scale. Your business development, on the other hand, should be one-to-one with uh, a tremendous amount of interpersonal interaction. Um, so in order to do that, you need to narrow that list of thousand people down to like 20 or 25, and you need to put them on a list and you need to prioritize them. And, um, you know, my, my suggestion usually is if you've got 20 to 25 people, that's there's usually somewhere between 20 and 25, like days that you might be working during a particular month, spend five to 10 minutes, or maybe some more, depending on whether you want to take somebody to lunch or go to drinks or whatever. Um, but do reach out to one person every day, you'll work through your list once a month and you'll make a contact with the important people within your ecosystem once a month with, uh, you know, an email, a phone call, a lunch, a drink, whatever the case might be. Um, and that's kind of your how, right? You, it's not a lot. It's actually pretty small, but the point is do it every day, do it consistently. You know, this notion of sell yourself an hour every day or pay yourself first, however you want to think about it from a mindset standpoint, um, get that work done because that's the thing that's going to generate all of those um, benefits that your job offers, you know, the autonomy, the independence, the greater compensation. Um, I love this term. I heard Adam Grant use it, um, which is there are certain people in every organization who have idiosyncrasy credits, meaning they're sort of allowed to operate outside the bounds of the organization's rules because they're so valuable. Um, and in the law firm world, we all know the partner who just is completely uh, oblivious to and doesn't pay any attention to the billable hour requirements because they're bringing in like five to $10 million a year new business, right? Um, mm -hmm. Their idiosync idiosyncratic behavior is ignored because they're so valuable. Um, and so that's how you get uh, to, you know, that's how you get to take advantage of those benefits is, um, is doing this investment in, in building a practice. So I'll stop there, Tom. Sorry. I, I'm filibustering. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's still legal. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know how much I could add to that other than um, maybe reiteration of a couple of things that we've talked about in the past. So most of the listeners to this podcast are law firms and lawyers. If not, they're in professional services of some sort. And so I feel like there's this really long sales cycle for most of our listeners, right? And I don't think it's transactional. I think um, it's the sort of thing that takes a long time for somebody to build up trust, to establish a relationship, and then to ultimately get somebody to like them to the point where I'm going to either share a referral or I'm going to reach out to you to hire. That That's not like a two-week thing, right? That's maybe a two-year thing sometimes. It could be yeah. two months. Um, it could be five years. I had a client, I think I said this on air the other day, is that a client that is like now just awash in new business and it was three years after they started. And, mm -hmm. and I asked them, well, what's happening? What's different now? And he said, nothing's really different. It just took all that time to start working. So again, that's not like saying that everyone's got to wait three years before they see results. The point of the story is that like, you need to take these actions now and make them consistent so that you're constantly, I think this is your terminology, making these deposits, right? You're making these deposits, they're accruing interest. And at some point you're going to be able to make a withdrawal. You don't know when that is going to even be, 
But if you are making like you put a dime in your savings account and then you put a dime over in your IRA and then you put a dime maybe in a stock, obviously a dime wouldn't do it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you put a dime in your checking account, you give a dime to a kid, you put a dime in your, I mean, it's not having any effect, right? Overall. But if yep. you kept putting a dime in a piggy bank, God, I'm showing my age, that eventually it's going to build up, right? And so I'd rather, I'd like what you say is that you can't get overwhelmed with the, 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 breadth of the amount of actions you have to take. I think you need to simplify it to one simple action that's repeatable that you can commit to that isn't going to blow up your entire day or your entire week. And if you do that consistently, everyone that's done that, everyone that I've seen do that has seen results. But what the people who don't see results are the people who try this, then they move on to that, then they try this, and then they move on to that. And it's so herky-jerky, none of it has any time to you know, make any traction. So Again, just repeating what you said, but pick one thing that you can do well, that you can pull off reasonably, you know, within the course of a day or a week and stick with it and stick with it consistently. Now, it needs to align with the where that we just established, right? And it needs mm -hmm. to, that where needs to establish with the who. But if you're doing this in this in this methodology that you're laying out, all of this becomes intuitive. You're not guessing at the how, right? The how's evident because yeah. you know what the where is and the where matches to the who. So now you just basically you're just following a recipe of your own making that's going to be successful. Yeah, no, for sure. What about the what and the why, Tom? No, <laughs> another podcast. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, and a couple, a couple other just sort of random points um, is, and I, I wrote about this earlier this week, which is don't, um, you know, we, we said don't overcomplicate things, but don't make things harder on yourself than they need to be too. I think sometimes people have, and I think this is particularly true for like hard charging, hardworking professionals. Like uh, sometimes people have an, have an assumption that if it doesn't, if it's not like painful, then it's not beneficial. Um, and so if it doesn't feel like a hard grind, then maybe it's not, it's not working or I need to be doing something different. Um, the way you might think about like a workout, right? Like no pain, no gain. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that's it at all. I think it's the work that tends to feel effortless to us. You know, we've talked about flow state, like, um, that, that you should be leaning into and, and focusing on from a marketing standpoint. And I know, you know, I, I wrote about this and, and I, and I kind of predicted that I'd see these responses, but somewhere it's like, well, but what about, you know, isn't, isn't it through things that are uncomfortable and difficult that we grow and all that? I'm like, yeah, you know what, but I wrote this post for lawyers and I'll tell you, I know this from experience, the practice of law is hard and scary enough and it right. you're constantly outside your comfort zone. Um, so why make your marketing hard and scary? You know what I mean? Like if you hate networking at conferences, like why on earth would you like do that? Because why, what, what are you, how are you growing as a result of that? You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be particularly good at it and you're not going to do much of it more importantly. Whereas if you like writing, you like the quiet solitude, you're an introverted person, um, you enjoy the intellectual exercise. Awesome. Do that. Forget the networking, forget the public speaking. You know what I mean? Or you might be the opposite type person and writing like is very hard for you. Then don't try to do it, at least in your marketing. You know what I mean? Just keep it, make it not only make it simple, but make it as painless as possible. Right. I really do think it, that's another variation of the FOMO that I described is there's fear that if it's in your case or your example, if it's not painful, it's, it's not effective or if I'm not doing a bunch of stuff, then it, nothing's going to work. And 
I've done a 180 on this in the last, I don't know, three years where I think me 10 years ago when it was conceivable that you could kind of be everywhere because there were, you know, a 10th of the channels that exist now. Um, then yeah, you should kind of be anywhere that you might have an interaction with your audience. And if you're the first there, you know, you can kind of stake some ground before, before others do. That was sort of my mentality 10 years ago, but now it's like, Nobody has time for this, right? Does it, is there anyone listening who doesn't feel like they're overwhelmed right now and overwhelmed being work, attention, you know, strains on your attention? Um, people are looking for simple. If you can yep. make it simple for them, they're going to thank you for it. And they're, you know, so there's yeah. no sense in adding complexity where all complexity is doing is scaring people away. So yeah. the simpler, the better. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, just on a related point, um, don't you don't necessarily need to overthink it either uh just going back to thinking about things i've been writing about lately like the issue of perfectionism right just like mm -hmm. don't let that become a form of procrastination um and and you know the, the the point i made this morning when i was writing a post about perfectionism was that it, it's paradoxical in the sense that the the what per perfectionism does is it prevents you from engaging in the behavior that's going to allow you to actually become better at the thing that you're you're perfectionist about supposedly right you're going to become by by writing more and publishing more you're going to become a better writer but if you're such a perfectionist that you can never put anything out into the world how are you going to get feedback from an audience how are you going to improve what you're doing so it's a it's a paradox in that sense and i mean we repeatedly i'll say this you know constantly when as it relates to marketing most people are a terrible judge about how the marketplace is going to receive any particular idea, project, anything else. A great example of that from this week is um, of all these principles of like, keep it simple, don't overthink it, just get stuff out there. Like on Sunday morning, um, ignore conventions. Um, I, I decided to just knock out a quick LinkedIn post on Sunday morning, um, which is, you know, course of time when you're not supposed to post. Uh, it, that's what mm -hmm. conventional wisdom says. And it was, you know, a short post took me maybe, I don't know, five, six minutes to write. And, you know, it's now approaching 600,000 views. Um, the, the largest, you know, in terms of views and reactions by far approaching 6,000 reactions, 6, 600,000 views. Um, and it was, I didn't, like I said, I just literally threw something together, hit post, didn't think anything of it. And, and here we go. You know, I mean, it's, you, you couldn't, I, I could have spent weeks planning to try to write something <laughs> like that i never would have right as it is instead i spent six minutes just actually writing and getting it out and just hitting post and not caring and and serendipity you know happens so in any event just a so, just a kind of a real world lesson i was gonna say i have a confession to make then too so <laughs> last week um i was feeling uninspired on a day that i had committed to posting something on linkedin and i'm like ah you know what? I'm busy enough. I'm just going to skip today. And I said, nope, 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 nope. No, I wouldn't skip a workout. I'm not skipping this. So I was like, but I don't know what to write about. I opened by here. I go again, my full focus planner and mm. every day has a nice inspirational quote across the top. Oh, so yeah, I'm, like, yep. I'm going to poke that sucker. <laughs> yeah. in this and I just, like you said, three minutes, I put the thing in quotes and then I wrote a little bit about what I thought it meant to me. And the reactions were, oh, so profound. And thank you for sharing this. And it was yep. my most viewed piece my most reacted to piece of probably the month nice. and I'm like but if i thought if i sat down and said you know what i need to write something profound that's really going to resonate with people <laughs> right <laughs> how would i have done that so anyway it just furthers your point 
and I'm going to cross over podcasts for a minute, just because your point taken about um, people are terrible judges about what how the market's going to react to things. So you know the band Toto, right? Yep. What's their biggest song that you can think of? Oh, you're. I can't think of any songs, Tom. Is okay. it? I'm the worst. I'm the so, worst person to ask. Africa, right? You know. The oh yeah, Africa. sure. Okay. Okay. So the lead guitarist of that band, after they record that, said, "We're not putting that on the album. That's that is a clunker." And if that there, the producer persists. He's like, "No, that's going to be a hit." It's like it'll never be a hit. I'll eat my hat if it's a hit. Well, it's you know just past a billion spins on Spotify and of course had its heyday back in the eighties, I guess. So anyway, the whole yep. point of that is yeah, you can't prejudge and this goes back to why you um in and maybe this ties it all back into a nice little bow, is that if you're if you're doing less lifts, more incremental, you know, kind of not complex, not huge heavy lifts, 15 minutes a day, like that's easy to commit to. And there's no extraordinary weight that you need to place on any one of those 15 minute increments that's make or break it's the cumulative effect of all of them and so if you're giving yourself the grace not to overthink things not to overcomplicate things and not to overcommit a bunch of time to things then you will get that serendipity and you will get that post that's got 600,000 views or the a billion spins on spotify the, the point is commit to here's the big ending i guess commit to the actions and not the outcomes and you'll find success yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Good place to wrap, Tom. Um, we'll leave it there and hopefully people will try to put some of this into practice and, and see some results from it. So, um, so I guess we'll, we'll put this episode in the, in the can, so to speak. Is that the right terminology, Tom? For... <laughs> I, I don't know, but I'm going to give you a cliffhanger for our next episode. Okay. And it's going to be a clickbaity kind of cliffhanger. Mm. We're going to talk about clickbait. Yeah. content on LinkedIn and I'm going to leave it at that. All right. Good place to leave it. All right, All right Tom. See you next week. Okay. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.